Welcome to Glendale Christian Church, everybody. My name is Andrew Kirster. I'm the lead minister here at GCC, and I'm really grateful that you've decided to come out and worship with us. Today, we continue our series on friendship. Friendship is one of those great relationships that God Almighty allows us to have because we are made in His image. Just as God has experienced perfect relationship from eternity past within Himself, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, existing in perfect communion, so it is that we, who are made in His image, get to enter into relationships. One of the sweet relationships that we get to have is friendship. C.S. Lewis once said about friendship, friendship is not necessary to survival. In the same way that philosophy or art or music is not necessary to survival. But then C.S. Lewis quickly followed that up by saying, but friendship is what makes survival worth having. Same with music and art and philosophy. You don't need them in order to exist, but you need to have them for your existence to be worth the having. And so it is, friendship is really important. And one of the keys to a good friendship is mutual knowledge of God. It's very, very important that there be mutual knowledge of God and not just one-sided knowledge of God. I know this from experience. I'm very, very fortunate in my life to have a group of friends that have knowledge of God. And when we get to sit together, when we get to sit around the front porch, when we get to sit around the fire pit and talk about the deep things of life, talk about God, there's one theme that tends to pop up. And it pops up in everybody's friendship and relationship, I imagine. There are things that aren't great in this world, and we tend to suffer. There are things that happen. We lose people we love, we experience heartbreak, we experience disaster. Sometimes our shop would burn down. Sometimes a grandma would die. Sometimes you'd get fired from a job. Bad things happen. But what good friends will do, and what a good friendship will do, is remind you of the truth from God. Now, I've had really good fortune with friends in Christ. I've told you about my college roommate, Bryce. We were, uh, he was my first Christian friend, and it was great. We have a lot in common to this day. He served as a missionary, and in fact, now he is the director of missions at Ozark Christian College. One of the things that we have in common is that he and I, our youngest sons, are Down syndrome people. We, be, we both have a son with Down syndrome. My youngest boy, Clark, and his youngest boy, Rusk, they both have Down syndrome, and we have this in common. But one of my very best friends, in fact, my very best friend today, Clay O'Dell, our executive minister, he gives some of the best advice. Two words, he's received it from other friends, and he's made sure to share it with me, in our times together, we have ups and we have downs. And Clay likes to remind me of these words, and I've heard him say them to Jason, and I've heard him say them to Cody, and to Matt, and to, to our really close group of friends here. And those two words are, suffer well. Suffer well. In this world, you're going to have suffering. But if you learn how to suffer well, you'll be better off. Now, this is really, really great advice, and it's important because it helps me recognize that I have chosen wisely. For the Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter 12, verse 26, that the righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked, or the way of the wicked leads them astray. 
You've got to choose wisely your friends. If you have friends who help you lean into God's stuff, even in the midst of suffering, you have chosen wisely. You've got to be careful with your friend group. Because if you have friends who don't have a mutual knowledge of God, they might tell you things that are untrue. They might convince you to try to do things that are unwise. And it's very, very important to choose wisely. Because in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 15 verse 33 tells us, Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Bad company corrupts good character. I know this to be true as well, for in my life, I've never had a lot of friends, but I've always had a couple of deep friendships. But in my BC days, even though I had friendships that were strong enough that when one person would move away, we would still keep in contact and go visit, oh, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. And the character that I had was not great. My BC days were not filled with good character. And oftentimes it was my friends that helped encourage me towards some bad behavior. This is always how it goes. It always goes this way. Now, there is a big difference between going fishing and making disciples, where you know you have to reach out to people who are not Christian and even befriend them. There's a big difference between that and between missionary friendship and missionary dating. You just don't need to missionary date. You don't need to think, oh, I know what I'll do. Ah, there's that cute guy or that cute gal over there. I'll go date that person and that'll get them to come to the Lord. No, no, it doesn't work that way. Their influence will rub off on you probably more than your influence will rub off on them because don't be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. When you find someone that you're seeking to win to the Lord, it's good to become friends with them, but don't forget that the righteous chooses his friends carefully. Make sure you have friends that have a mutual knowledge of God because in this world, you're going to suffer. It is inevitable. And the Bible has a lot to say about suffering. In fact, one of the great Bible characters is a fellow named Job. Now, Job experienced tremendous suffering. But before he experienced tremendous suffering, he experienced the hand of blessing on his life. God's divine hand was certainly in Job's life. Job was a very wealthy man. Job had a lot of stuff. He had lots of sheep and lots of camel and lots of oxen and lots of land and lots of servants. He had seven sons. He had three daughters and things were great in his life. Things were great in his life. Well, then behind the scenes in the spiritual realm, an area that Job could not see, the devil, Satan himself, appeared and thought, it's a good idea for me to go contact God. And so, God allowed the devil to come and speak with him. And God said to devil, where have you been? Where where do you come from? And Satan said, oh, I came from the earth, here and there, going to and fro. And God said, now, have you considered my guy Job? My servant Job is upright and blameless. He loves me. And the devil said to God, it's easy for somebody to love you when you bless him so much. You've put a hedge around his life. If you removed that and you let me go to work on him, he, like all the rest, would curse you to his face. And God says, oh yeah, big boy? 
Let's just see about that. All right, I'll remove my hedge of protection around Job, and you can do your worst. You can do it, but do not touch the man himself. And so Job one day was standing, unbeknownst to him. He had no idea that God had a plan for his life that would allow for the devil himself to mess with him. But sure enough, one day, one of his servants came to him and said, Master, Master, I'm very sorry to tell you, but all your donkeys and all your sheep have died. And I barely got away. I just came to tell you. Another one of his servants came up to him and said, Master, Master, I'm really sorry to tell you this, but all of your camels have been taken. They've all been taken by marauders. Another one of his servants came up and said, Master, I can't believe I have to tell you this. I'm so sorry, but I'm here to give you grievous news. The house in which all your children, all seven of your sons, and all three of your daughters were celebrating and worshiping, was struck by a mighty wind, and I barely escaped, and all have died. I came to tell you this terrible news. And so the book of Job, chapter 1, verse 20 says, At this, Job got up, he tore his robe, and he shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground, and he worshipped. He worshipped God, saying aloud, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. This is very, very important. Sometimes, there's a tendency to charge God with wrongdoing when suffering comes into our lives. I know this because I've seen this. In my BC days, I had friends who advocated this. In my... Uh, Christian life, I've heard people say this. God sometimes gets charged with wrongdoing when bad things happen as though we are somehow in a position where it would be unfair for God to do something bad to us. I remember speaking with a young man and he was disappointed that his grandmother died. And rightly so. Nobody wants their grandmother to die. And he was mad at God. And he charged God with wrongdoing. I remember he told me, God has done something unfair. He's taken my grandma. Well, I knew that God does not do anything that's unfair. God is a God of justice. And so I started asking some questions. And I said, now how old was your grandma? Well, she was 89. Okay. And it's unfair that God called her home, even though she lived a long and good life? Yes, she served him. She went to Sunday school every week. She served him and she even taught Sunday school. It's not fair that she had to suffer and die. And I thought, oh, this guy's got it wrong. He's charging God with unfair wrongdoing. Let me make this abundantly clear. Abundantly clear. It is never the case that God could ever be indebted to a human such that he owes us anything good. It is never the case that God owes us anything good. By His grace and His mercy alone does God lavish blessing upon us. It's never the case that we can work so hard that God owes us something as though it's a transaction. Oh, I know how God works. And sometimes bad friends will say this. Oh, if you do this, you'll get this result. God's like a magic genie. You rub the lamp and you get this wish. You put the coin in and the machine does what you want it to do. If you just do what's right, God will always bless you. I've heard parents say, I don't know what happened to my kid. I took my kid to church. 
And doesn't the Bible say, train a child up in the way of the Lord and he won't depart from it? And it's like, you didn't bring your kid up in the way of the Lord? Dropping your kid off at church is not training your kid in the Lord. Banking on Lydia and Leah and Chris and the rest of the staff to raise your kid in the Lord is shirking your duty. We come alongside and help you raise your children. It's not our job, it's your job, and we seek to support you. But people think, oh, it's unfair that a kid would ever turn away. I brought him to church every week. Hey, I went to Sunday school every single week one year. How could it possibly be that this bad thing happened to me? As though we do something good for God and therefore He owes us something good. That's not how the world works. That is not how the world works. And neither does the world work like this. Just because you've done something bad or just because you've experienced suffering of some kind, doesn't necessarily mean that you have done something bad. The devil, in Job chapter 2, goes back to God, and Jesus or, and God Almighty says, Hey, have you considered Job? He continues to bless me, even though I've taken protection off and you've done your worst. And Satan says, Skin for skin, God. Anybody will trade Curse, blessing for curse, if I threaten his very life, let me attack the man himself, not just what he has. And God said, all right, fine. Do your worst, but don't kill him. Stop short of killing him. And so Satan departed. And you know what he did? He struck Job with terrible, horrible boils and sores from the bottom of his feet to the crown of his head. And Job had to take broken pottery and scrape the pus and ooze off of his head and off of his body. His wife turned to him and said, Are you still maintaining your integrity? Just curse God and die. She thought surely Job had done something wrong, for after all, nothing bad could happen this horribly unless he has done something bad. Curse God and die. That's the advice of his wife. Job responds, You are talking like a foolish woman. Should we accept good from God and not trouble? By saying this, Job did not sin, but praised God. Should we accept good from God and not trouble? We live in a world where there is plenty of trouble. And we live in a world where some people only want to accept the blessings that God has. But we have to understand, when trouble comes our way, we have an option. And the options are simple. On one hand, we can start to question why. Why? Why did this thing happen? And we can start to try to do a spiritual forensic analysis of our lives. And we start to think, now, it should not be that anything bad happens because I've done a lot of good for God. That's false knowledge. That's a lie. And that is an untruth. We might think, ah, all these horrible things are happening. That means I must have done something particularly bad. That is a lie, an untruth also. God does not punish you for the bad things you've done. If he did, you deserve to be hanging on the cross with all your blood shed and being eternally separated from him. If God is going to get you for what you've done, that's what should happen to your life. But instead, God is patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And so he withholds his hand of judgment 
even when we suffer, we should say, shall we accept good from God and not trouble? Well, Job was dealing with a wife who was speaking like a foolish woman. He was dealing with sores and boils and pus coming out of his body. He was dealing with the death of his children and the loss of his possessions. And then, down the road, come Job's friends. Job had three friends. They were named Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. You either have never heard of them because they're not really great friends, or you already know the story, and you know that when you hear the names Eliphaz, Bildad, or Zophar, you realize, "Uh uh-oh, steer clear of these fellas, because these fellas have false knowledge of God. They believe lies and untruths about God, even though they think they're really, really smart about God. Now, these guys show up, and they see Job from a long distance away, and you know what they do? They do something great at first. They show up with Job, and they sit down, and for seven days, they shut up and they cry. They shut up and they cry. They cry with him. And that's good, because the Bible tells us to rejoice with those who rejoice, and to mourn with those who mourn, and Job's friends got that right. But have you ever noticed that when you're comforting a friend... When you're comforting a friend who's suffering, maybe you're comforting somebody whose grandfather or, grand or grandmother or father just died, or someone whose child just died, or you're comforting somebody who's just lost a job or is experiencing heartbreak. You just sit there in silence. That's one of the very best things you can do is just be there and be quiet. But then when the opportunity comes and you have opportunity to speak, say what Clay says. Suffer well. Suffer well. I love you. I'm with you. I'm next to you. Suffer well. Because even if God were to give you the answer to your question of why, why, why did this thing happen? That would not satisfy you. That never satisfies you. Leave it to Marine to say something like, ours is not to question why, ours is but to do and die. That slogan comes right out of the Bible before it came out of our military. Questioning why doesn't get the job done. Wondering what's next gets the job done. We have to ask, what now? And the what now that follows suffer well is this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. We have to trust that God has us. We have to. But that's not what Job's friends said. They waited, and for seven days, they waited for Job to give him the opening. And finally, Job did. He said, what I feared has come upon me. What I dreaded has happened to me. I have no peace, no quietness. I have no rest, but only turmoil. And that's when his friends pounced. Eliphaz said, consider now, Job, Who, being innocent, has ever perished? As I have observed, those who plow evil and those who sow trouble reap it. As the breath of God, at the breath of God they perish. At the blast of his anger, they are no more. And Eliphaz continues and he says, We've examined this and it is true. So hear it and apply it to yourself. Do you understand what Eliphaz is saying? Job, this is your fault. God never destroys anybody unless they're bad. You must have done something bad for this destruction to come upon you. We've examined this. Apply it to yourself. 
Those who plow evil reap trouble. You have done something bad. Take your wife's advice. Curse God and die. This is far from suffer well and trust God. Job tells Eliphaz, you're proving of no help to me. You see something dreadful and you're afraid. But now I ask you to look at me. Look into me. Look into my eyes. Would I lie to your face? Repent. Do not be unjust. Consider, for my righteousness still stands. Is there any wickedness on my lips? Can my mouth not discern malice? Have I sinned to you that you are so unkind to me? Have I made you my target by what I've said? Have I become a burden to you? Why do you not pardon my offense and forgive my sins? He cries to God and to his friend, Why is this happening? Bildad knows. How long will you continue saying such things, Job? Your words are a blustering wind. That is bad foreshadowing. And Bildad continues, When your children sinned against him, he gave them over to the penalty of their sin. How long will you continue with this blustering wind of yours, Job? Knowing full well that it was God's wind that knocked down, or mighty wind that knocked down Job's house and killed his children? If your children die in a tornado, it's not good to say to your friend, how long will you bluster and blow tornadic winds against God? That is not comforting your friend. That is not suffer well. That is not trust the Lord. That is you have sinned. They got what they deserved. You're getting what you deserve. And so Job in chapter 9 says to Bildad, If only there was someone to mediate between us. Someone to bring God and me together. Someone to remove God's rod from me so that his terror would frighten me no more. Just as Bildad had a very unfortunate foreshadowing, so Job has a very fortunate foreshadowing of the New Testament. If only there were one mediator. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Timothy, there is only one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for sin to purify for himself a people eager to do good. Yeah, there is one mediator who takes the rod of God from us. There is one man who suffered on our behalf and took our penalty Everything that was owed us, Jesus bore. God does not let bad things happen to you because you were bad. God does not punish you because you were doing something wrong. Now, there are natural consequences to sin. If you sin, you might go to jail. If you sin, you might get fired from your job. If you sin, you might lose a relationship. But God is not punishing you for these things. In fact, every single time in the Bible that God punishes someone for something dumb they've done, He tells them in advance it's coming. Every single time. Has God said to you, Hey, I know Jesus took all the penalty for your sin, but you, you're so bad, I'm giving you a little taste early. Has God said that to you? Then he is not punishing you for your stupidity and sin. He's not. He's patient. He's holding back his wrath. He let his wrath already pour out on Jesus. You might be getting the natural consequence of your sin. You might be getting the consequence of living in a fallen world. Sometimes when high and low pressure get together, it rumbles. Gravity will pull you to your death if you fall out of an airplane without a parachute. But don't curse God on the way down. Oh, gravity is so horrible. Don't do that. 
Gravity's awesome. It's important for there to be natural uniformity in our created world. And gravity makes sports possible. Gravity makes airplane rides possible. Gravity is really, really important and good. Don't get mad at God for gravity. Sometimes gravity gets you. Don't get mad at God for natural consequences. Sometimes natural consequences get you. And don't you dare tell your friend you're getting what you deserve because of all your sin. Because if you do that, you do not know God and His plan for your life. Well, Zophar jumps in on this too. Zophar, his friend, says, Ah, Job, I've heard you say to God, My beliefs are true and I'm pure in your sight. Oh, how I wish that God would speak and that he would open his lips against you. Oh, that's nice. That's nice. You, you, want, you want God to open his mouth and speak against me to shut me up and put me in my place because I'm telling you, I have not done something to deserve this. I have not cursed God when he did this. It's not, I don't know what's going on. I wish God would tell me why God is this happening. And now you're telling me that this is not allowed? Oh, how could it possibly be? When Zophar says, I wish God would open his mouth and speak against you, do you know what Job's response from uh, uh, Job chapter 13, verse 15 is? Though he slay me, yet still will I trust him. Can anyone bring charges against me? Says Job to Zophar. If they can, I'll listen and die. Well, Job has heard many things like these. Job has heard his friends. And he tells his friends the truth. I've heard you say many things like these. You're miserable comforters, all of you. Will your long-winded speeches never end? Now I've just given you a sample. Zophar goes on for like two chapters. Bildad complains to Job for a chapter and a half. Eliphaz talks different times, chapters at a time. Will your long-winded speeches never end? What ails you that you keep on arguing with me? I could also speak to you if you were in my place, but I would not make fine-sounding speeches against you or shake my head at you. Instead, my mouth would encourage you. Comfort would come from my lips and bring you relief. How long will you, my friends, torment me and crush me with words? Ten times now you have reproached me and shamedly attacked me. What you know, I know also. I'm not inferior to you in knowledge, but I desire to speak to the Almighty and argue my case with Him. You, however, smear me with lies. You're worthless physicians, all of you. If only you would be altogether silent, that for you would be wisdom. And that is wisdom for us as well. Sometimes just be quiet. And when the window cracks, say those two glorious words, suffer well. And when they ask how, say, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him, and He'll make straight your paths. Job continues on. He says, as surely as God lives, the God who has denied me justice, the Almighty who has made my life bitter, as long as I have life within me and God's breath within my nostrils, my lips will not say anything wicked. And my tongue will not utter lies. I will never admit that you are right in God's sight. That you are right. Until I die, I will not deny my integrity. Job will not blame God for the bad that has happened. And Job will not admit that it is his fault. 
He won't. He can't. He knows that he's in the right. And he knows that he must trust God. Well, at this point, another fella comes in. Another fella who wasn't really one of Job's friends, but he's kind of a hanger-on, kind of an outer circle acquaintance of Job. Somebody who really follows in the footsteps of Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. His name is Elihu. And Elihu says, hey, you guys were right. God repays everyone for what they've done. He brings on them what their conduct deserves. Job speaks without knowledge. His words lack insight. Oh, that Job might be tested to the utmost for answering like a wicked man. To his sin, he adds rebellion. Job can't catch a break. Oh, that God would just come and test you, his friends say. And you know what God does? He shows up and he tests Job. He shows up, and in chapter 38, God shouts from the storm, Who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Who is this that questions me time and time again, wondering why these bad things have happened? Why, why, why comes the cry? Brace yourself like a man, Job, and first answer my question. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Surely you know. Tell me, for you understand. Who marked off the dimensions of space itself? Surely you must know. Can you bind the chains of the Pleiades or loosen Orion's belt? Can you bring forth the constellations in their seasons? Do you send the lightning bolts on their way? Do they respond to you? Here we are! Can you catch Leviathan with a fish hook? Can you tell me everything about how the world goes? No, Job, you can't. And I believe that God Almighty gave Job a little bit of a preview from what, Job, or from what God said through his prophet Isaiah. Though you, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Job, you're out of your depth. Stop asking why. It's never going to satisfy you. It's never going to satisfy you. You will never be okay with my reasoning, for my reasoning is bigger than yours. You know what you should do instead? Suffer well. You know what you should do instead? Trust me with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but continue to acknowledge me in all your ways and I'll make straight your paths. This I promise. And Job replied to God, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand. I repent in ash. And he sat down in the ashes and apologized to God for questioning the Almighty. Well, after this, do you know what God did? He gave Eliphaz, Bildad, Zophar, and even Elihu a little taste of what they were hoping Job would get. 
The Lord said directly to Eliphaz in Job 42, I am angry with you and your two friends because you have not spoken the truth about me like my servant, servant Job has. So now take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer a sacrifice, a burnt offering for yourselves. My servant Job will pray for you and I will accept his prayer and I will not deal with you according to your folly. These fools thought that God dealt with Job according to his folly, but he says, I'll spare you getting what you thought I was doing to Job if you go and you make sacrifice and you ask him to pray for you. So Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar did what the Lord commanded, and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. After this, Job, having finished praying for his friends, received blessing from the Lord. The Lord blessed him in glorious, glorious ways. In fact, the Lord doubled all of his physical stuff. He got twice as many donkeys, twice as many sheep, twice as many camels, and he got to have seven more sons and three more daughters. He got to live for 140 more years, and he got to live to a ripe old age, and he got to experience God's blessing. He suffered well. He trusted God with all his heart. But it wasn't because of his friends. The key to a good friendship is mutual knowledge of God. When God himself says to your friends, you don't know the truth about me, you need new friends. Would God say to your friends, you speak the truth about me just like my servant? Or would God say to your friends, you don't speak the truth? I'm very confident that God would say directly to Clay and to Matt and to Jason and to Cody and to all my friends, you have spoken the truth. You've encouraged Andrew to suffer well and your other friends also. After all, should it ever be that we do anything other than trust in the Lord with all our heart, lean not in our own understanding, and all our ways acknowledge Him, He'll make straight your paths. If you encourage your friend to suffer well, Here's how they can do that. Tell them to trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. We have to do that all the time. Not just when things are good, but even when things are bad. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? Jesus tells us that this world is filled with trouble, but fear not, for I have overcome the world. There is no amount of trouble that this world can throw at you that God cannot overcome. So trust in Him with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In everything you do, acknowledge Him, and He will make your paths straight. So here's what I would love for you to do this week. This week, if you're up to it, I'd love for you to read a 42-chapter book. I'd love for you to read the entire book of Job. Do you have time? Do you think you could do it? Now, if you do it, be careful. Because, like I said, Bildad talks for like two straight chapters and says a lot of dumb stuff. Don't, for a minute, miss the context. Find the context. Because when Bildad, Zophar, or Eliphaz, or Elihu speak, they are not speaking truth. God said so. So don't think, oh, that might be true. There's a lot of bad stuff said in the book of Job because Job has some idiot friends. Don't listen to what they say. Listen to what God says. 
Listen to what God says. But then also what I want you to do, I want you to memorize Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. These verses are how people can suffer well. How do you accept the advice of your best friend to suffer well? Here's the answer. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. That's how you do it. And then what I want you to do this week is I want you to talk with your friends about trusting God even during suffering. And this is a great way to test to see if you've chosen wisely or poorly. You talk to your friends about trusting God even in the midst of suffering and listen to what they say. If they sound like Eliphaz, Bildad, Zophar, and Elihu, it's time to cut bait and find some better close friends. If they sound like those wise men who tell you to suffer well and trust God in all your ways, you've chosen wisely and continue to invest in those friends. But don't waste your time investing in friends that don't have a knowledge of God. After all, a key to a good friendship is mutual knowledge of God Almighty. Stop asking why. Start asking what now. Start embracing suffer now. And trust in the Lord always. Would you stand with me as we pray?